right. Hey, everybody. We're back. It is me, DJ Crystal Clear, with episode 20 of Original Versus Cover, here in the fabulous As It Should Be Studios in Crooklyn, New York, on this lovely spring day, with my engineer, Dr. Paul Bertolino. Oh, shit. All right. And, uh, you know, it's nice outside, so let's jump right into this. Song number one. The song is called Tell Me I'm Not Dreamin', apostrophe, not with a zero, uh, and then Too Good To Be True. And the original version was done by a Jermaine Jackson from some family you may have heard of. I don't know. The Osmonds? The Osmonds. uh, From the album called Jermaine Jackson that came out in 1984. And the cover version I have for it is done by Robert Palmer from his album Heavy Nova that came out in 1989. Did you ever hear this, Paul? I've already heard. Uh, I don't know that I know about this. You know about the you know the original though, right? I didn't did I didn't catch the title. Tell me I'm not dreaming. Oh, you know what? I may not. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't what? have any of the Jermaine Jackson albums. Oh, okay. So I don't know that stuff. I think Let's Get Serious is probably the one and only Jermaine Jackson uh, solo track I know. Got it. Okay. Well, I'll tell you. Don't bother getting any of the albums. Just <laughs> listen to the singles. Go to a greatest hits thing or whatever, because he only has like three or four. Daddy's home. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, I do know that one. And uh, yeah, let's get serious. And then this one. So the original, <clears throat> it was nominated at the 1985 Grammy Awards for Best R&B Performance by a duo or group with vocals. And that's because his brother Michael sang on the song with him. Brother Michael. Brother Michael. No, Auntie Jin. Uh, The vocal version was the B-side to the 7-inch and 12-inch versions of Do What You Do. Now, that was another big hit for him. It was a very slow ballad. Um, Why don't you do do what what you do? do Okay, you you know, now that's a song I knew. I just didn't know it was him. Okay, yeah, that's Jermaine. Same with that cover of Daddy's Home. Home, yeah. Yeah. Uh, While an instrumental version was the B-side to another song, Dynamite, which is not that explosive to me anyway. So, uh, this song, it is, it's a, it's a love song, basically. It's a song about a guy who sees a chick and, like, tell me I'm not dreaming because I want to hook up with you kind of thing. So, to me, it's very odd that Michael Jackson is singing on it with him because it should be a woman singing with him. <laughs> and now there's well. 2021, that's a very antiquated thing to say, and I understand that. But, but when you hear the song, you'll get it. But they sound so good together that you kind of don't pay attention to it. Right. But also your, your comments are in context of that time. Yeah. How people would have seen it when it came out. When it came how out. How people see it now is immaterial. It, thank you. Immaterial. That's one of my favorite vocabulary words. So, uh, let's see. Um In a book, I did some research, 1993 book, Michael Jackson, The King of Pop, Lisa Campbell states that although it was never officially released as a single because of legal difficulties between Michael's label Epic and Jermaine's label Arista, the song did receive a lot of airplay despite that. Um, But, you know, Billboard could not show the song on any single chart. Uh, They had not yet begun publishing the airplay chart, which it would have registered. That came along later. So it did register on radio and records, which was some, you know, thing, top 40 chart, uh, a chart based solely on airplay at the time. And I don't remember radio and records from back in the day, so 
It must have been strictly industry eyes only, I guess. Radio and Records was a chart? Yeah. Radio I, I'd and never Records. heard of it myself. I'd never heard of it. Uh, so it peaked at number six in June of 1984. And the song was the most successful on the Billboard Hot Dance Club Play <laughs> chart. How do they make that shit up? <laughs> Hot Dance Club Play. Right, well, and then there's the cold dance. And then there's, and the, then cold there's one, the, the medium uh, rare. I don't know. I don't, whatever. Uh, it spent three weeks at number one that same June. The song was performed as a medley <laughs> with some of Jermaine Jackson's other solo hits like Let's Get Serious and Dynamite on the 1984 Victory Tour. So I do remember seeing it live because I saw it in Philadelphia and they did sing it together and everybody was going nuts because it's fucking Michael Jackson. Did you see the Victory Tour? No, I no, I, did, I wasn't really interested at that. Yeah. I understand why. Um, <clears throat> so it's very synth pop. It's new wavish, but it's R and B all at the same time, and it's snappy, peppy, and bouncy, and they sing it very enthusiastically, and they're in full voice, and they sound really great, um, and it's all electronic. There's only one real instrument, and it's an electric guitar. It plays a little lick, and it's not that loud. So, when they did it on stage, the band played it. Which was better to me to have like real instruments doing it, even though it was very synth heavy. And Michael sings more on this song than Jermaine does. So when you listen to it, it's very interesting because it's almost as if he's usurping, like he's just taking the song away from Jermaine. (laughs) Well, it is MJ. I mean, he's it's his uh, his birthright to just (laughs) that spotlight. That's me because he sings the chorus. And he takes one of the verses. Yeah, it's it's very... It just sounds a little weird. So, the Robert Palmer cover has real drums and real guitars and layers of BVs and synths and all that. And he's singing with a woman. Uh, she was a backing vocalist. Her name was B.J. Nelson. And it follows the exact same arrangement, but with more real percussion stuff. It has little clicks and clacks and wood blocks and things in it. And Robert Palmer is singing in his full, glorious voice. Right. And um, it's a male-female duet. Right. Just like you pitched it. Skyscrapers and everything. So now we're going to listen to them, and then we're going to pick a winner.
So there you have it. They're so <laughs> amazingly different. Wildly different. Completely different. Well, you know, you, you were describing the instrumentation and how everything's all synthy and kind of... You know, electronic drums and electronic this and that on the Jermaine version, and that there's there's real instruments on the the Robert Palmer version, and I'm going <laughs> yeah, oh, where? Well, okay, well they 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 dripped a bunch of things on top of shit it. on top of it to make it. It sounds like the same shit to me. Yeah, it's almost it's almost exactly the same. It sounds exactly the same. Yeah, it's pretty. <sighs> this is an example of not a great cover because it's pretty much exactly the same. Mm. So, uh, I don't know. I really love Robert Palmer. I love his voice. And she's good, too, BJ What's-Her-Face. And... (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to BJ What's-Her-Face. Shout out to BJ What's-Her-Face. What the hell's her name again? Uh, BJ Nelson. Um, I I don't know. Is there a winner? Is it a tie? I'm not sure. Uh, I... I think this is a case of uh, loser, loser versus loser. loser. But, you know, it's not even a great song to begin with. I mean, there's kind of there's nothing really to work with here, <laughs> really. No, it's exactly the same the whole way through. ABA, <sighs> the bridge, uh, yeah, it's just kind of like mm, I hmm. don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, how many songs at that time sounded like? I mean, that's yeah, that's a, a hundred thousand songs during that period. Yes, especially anything having to do with Michael Jackson. Yeah, but I mean, it, it just anybody. I mean, there's there's a thousand. Uh, what's her name? Miami Sound Machine songs that sound oh, like that. Oh yeah, you know, and the Jets and. <laughs> oh God, I got a crush on you. Yeah. Well, it was 1984. <laughs> it was, but maybe 1984 could have broadened its horizons a little bit. <laughs> it could have, and it should have. But everybody was praying to the MTV machine, and everybody wanted everything to be exactly the same. Who was doing anything different? Prince. Sort of. Well, sort of. I mean, his writing was different, but he his his production of that time is dated as fuck. It sounds like that, that moment time. in time. Yeah, exactly. You can't escape that. Um, from nostalgia's sake, for me, I like the original version better, but I do love Robert Palmer. Mm. So I guess for me, it's a tie. <laughs> Loser versus loser. <laughs> loser. Loser versus loser. Over there. They're terrible. All right. Well, there we go. <clears throat> so, song number two is uh, called Only Women Bleed. Oh, my God. So gross. Oh, my God. So disgusting. It was done by Alice Cooper in 1975 from his famous super big crazy selling welcome to my nightmare his first solo album and it, the, the title was always shortened to only women that's correct uh, you probably were going to get to that weren't i'm going to get to that yes <laughs> Sorry. that's I okay won't, i won't steal your punk no problem <laughs> and uh there are four covers of this but i'm only gonna I'm only going to play three. Four. Honestly, I don't know any covers of this. Oh, word? You have four fucking covers of this shit? Four. And there are more than this. Okay. So the first one, here's your homework assignment, everybody. Uh, You need to Google or go to YouTube and look up Julie Covington, Only Women Bleed, and watch that video. It was made in uh, 1978. (laughs) 
Okay. That's all I'm going to say. So the covers we will hear, there's one done by Lita Ford. Oh, shit. At some point in the 80s, I couldn't figure out exactly when or what album it was on. Uh, And then Ike and Tina Turner. Wow. From Soul Session that was released in 1988. And then Etta James from her album Deep in the Night that came out in 1978. So the Lita Ford version, it's uh, Lita Ford (laughs) singing... <laughs> actually, you yeah. know what? She holds back. Actually, she's <laughs> she's giving you softness. She only guts it like maybe once or twice. You would expect that. I would expect that. But she kind of like is chill. And okay, it's all right. Not bad. Uh, the Ike and Tina Turner. It was originally recorded in 1974 or 75, and the arrangement is Ike Turner. So it's very soul, it's soul, it's heavy bass, a B3, guitars, there's some synthy strings in there, um, the middle chorus, and her voice and the bass are the loudest. Yeah, that must have been, there must have been some later production done on that track, because synthy strings would have been an 80s thing, and one thing is faux show, and that is that Ike and Tina were never once in the studio during that decade. That time, yeah. yeah. It's it's very weird because when you listen to it, if they, well, this you know, the one that we will hear, it may be a re-recording, but it was originally released in 74. And then you're like, why would Ike and Tina Turner cover Alice Cooper? And then especially that song. So my thought is, well, that was, that was around the time where she did Tommy. Right, and maybe Ike was like, "Well, we got to get on that white boy rock music stuff. Uh, what are we gonna do?" Right. So that was a hit at the time. So I guess they did it, and of course, Tina Turner can't start any song without talking something first. <laughs> so well, you know, you she's hear, been hanging out with Lou Rawls clearly. So you hear a you know a little music comes up, and then she's like, "Now this song is about we women," and then they go into it. Oh, that's that's her only. That's it. Oh wow, okay. We women. This Talk about holding a, back. This song is about we women. I expected longer. We, okay, so it's a song about small women. About we women. <laughs> we women. <laughs> I mean, Tina Turner's not very tall, She's so a, I mean, yeah. you know. I, I would because yeah, us women isn't that improper grammar? We women. Mike Fornatel, can you? Yes, please. Can you get at us about that? <laughs> we need we need the grammar bitch to get on this. Uh... So yeah, and then Etta James's version is super slow, swampy blues, uh, kind of church thing going on. And it came out in '78. It's got a lead guitar. There's a Hammond going on. A really great brass section. It stacks. I'll say that it stacks. Right. I don't remember if she recorded it there, but it's very stacks. And for her, it also sounds autobiographical. Right. Because, okay, so let me get to the other thing. So, heads up, people, it is not a song about menstruation. (laughs) It is a ballad about a woman in an abusive marriage relationship. And you think of it, having a period could obviously be a metaphor for some sort of suffering, if you will. But because of that assumption and protest by feminist groups back in 1974 when as a single it was released they had to change it to only women 
and it hardly played on the radio. And do you know what the B-side was? Uh, shit, what was the B-side of that? Um, was it Escape? Or nope. Steven? Mm-mm. It was Cold Ethel. Cold Ethel. Cold Ethel. So it's a power ballad. And there's a lot of orchestral things going on in there. It runs five minutes and 49 seconds. And to me, his voice is kind of rough. He's right on top of the microphone. I don't know how they recorded it. Uh, but sometimes to me, he sounds like he's drunk. Oh, Alice? Yeah. Yeah, it was Alice Cooper in 1975. I guarantee he was drunk. Yeah, it, it seems like he just kind of rolled out of bed, and they have the lyrics right in front of him, and he's talking, talk singing it. Yeah. Like he's telling a story. Well, he, that's literally what he did in those days. He, You know, you have the, the, the wake and bake guys who, yeah. you know, light up before they get... Alice had a Budweiser and had it on his lips before he pulled the covers off of himself. Oh, okay. Every fucking day. day. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, he probably was drunk when he did that. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. He got through it. He didn't slur anything or anything. And then with the crescendo, when he's like, you know... But to me, it's just like... Yeah, Miss smokes and drinks don't come home at all. Like he's just smokes and drinks don't come. Yeah, yeah, he's just kind of out of it. So uh, there's another version that I could have, I could have subjected us to, <laughs> tortured us with. Well, that depends. Whose version? <laughs> Guns and Roses. Oh, you have chosen your words wisely. <laughs> so that's why we're not going to hear that one either. Yeah, let us not. So we're going to check out the other three and then get back and pick a winner. Man got his woman to take his seat. He got the power, oh, she got the need. She spends her life through. Pleasing up a man Feeds him dinner Oh, anything she can She cries alone at night too often He smokes and drinks and don't come home at all Only women bleed Only women bleed Only women bleed
she's got the need She spends her whole life trying Trying to please a man She fixes him his dinner And she does all the little lovely things That a woman can But she cries alone at home Too often Cause he smokes and drinks Sometimes he don't come home Don't even bother to call really looking for is an even break he lies right at you you know you hate this game he slaps you once in a while and you live in love and pain So, wow, wow, Ooh. it's a, it's <laughs> a journey. Uh, yeah. So, what do you think? Well, I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> shall I state the obvious? Uh, no, no, you know, Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper all wins all the way. I will say that. I mean, forget about Lita Ford. That was a waste of time. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, her, her her 80s emoting. She's okay. She's doing that 80s emoting thing. That's sort of like the vocal equivalent of the way Steve Perry acts in the Separate Ways video. Oh yeah. <laughs> right, you know, in an yeah. attempt to to try to convey the feeling of the lyric, but it just comes off just trying too hard. Yeah. I. I don't even know why she would want to do that. I guess sorta maybe. Is that a good cover for a woman to do? I suppose so. Cause well, it is if you do it. a good arrangement of it, but yeah. uh, I haven't heard any, a good arrangement on any of these covers. <laughs> <laughs> well, hers, it was a waste of time. Ike and Tina Turner, I kind of I dig it. It's okay. Well, what it's, what it's down to with that is that I've never ever heard Tina Turner n- not sound good singing anything. Anything, yeah. But at the same time, it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that wasn't necessary. Necessary yeah. either. And Etta James, the arrangement was changed. But man, is that shit dragon? Slow. Dragon. <laughs> it's really dragon. But it has to, to convey, her, that's her steez, to convey her message. I mean... That's what she does, like swampy, slow stuff, for the most part. Well, so <laughs> I'm not, I'm not mad at it. I just, it's just kind of okay. So, Alice wins. Oh yeah. And scene. And if you want to torture yourself on your own, listen to the Guns N' Roses version. But definitely look up that Julie Covington video because you're just gonna crack up. <laughs> 
for a myriad of reasons. All right, ep- uh, song number three is called Come Back and Stay. And the original was done by Jack Lee, recorded in 1981. And the cover was done by Mr. Paul Young and was uh, recorded and <laughs> released in 1983. So we've talked about Jack Lee before. Do you remember this Joker? No. Okay. <laughs> I, I blocked it out. <laughs> you probably did. And for good reason. So he was, uh, <clears throat> he wrote a very famous song that Blondie covered and had a big hit with it. Remember that show we did where he was there and was a total dick? Oh, that guy. That oh, guy. fuck. Okay. <laughs> Boy, I really blocked him out. He was, we were actually in his presence. <laughs> and I forgot about him. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> the... Oh, was it uh, Hanging on the Telephone? Is Hanging that what on the yeah, Telephone, okay, right. yeah. Of course, the name of his band escapes me at the moment. I'll, I'll have to look it up. But anyway, so he's he's back! Yeah. <laughs> and so he wrote this song. It's 80s, punkish, new wave-ish, power pop-ish, thin guitar playing that he always did. Uh, it's guitar heavy. The recording sounds like crap when he does it with the band, but his solo one sounds better and cleaner. Um, but basically, they both sound like they're on like a third-generation cassette tape. The band was called The Nerves. Ah. That's, that's who they were, yeah. And Paul Collins, who was in The Beat, was in that band. And Peter Case, who was in The Plimsolls, was in that band. Right. They were from San Francisco, then they moved to L.A., and then that's where they made their name. And, and right. this guy, Jack, wrote all the songs, Jack Lee. All these C-level power pop guys that all the power pop guys love. (laughs) I never understood the Plimsolls. I didn't get it. I didn't didn't get it. The beat? Yeah. But the Plimsolls? I don't know. I like the name, but I didn't think they were that great. And then the cover by Paul Young. Everybody loves Paul Young. Except probably you. What's not to love about Paul Young? (laughs) Except his haircut. Except his haircut. (laughs) Well, you know, it was the 80s. And um, it's Paul Young covering the song in the 80s. So what do you think you're going to hear? Well. All synths. <laughs> all synths, all, all synths, the time. All the time. You know, that is a track that I didn't, well, I didn't like Paul Young at all at the time. Because he just was not my bag at that time, baby. But, um, but there's some pretty heavy pangs of nostalgia with that track for me now. <laughs> Uh, Come back that that cover of of this this cover oh, of this, this song yeah. yeah yeah it was a big hit on MTV and it was this and every time you go away that cover yeah and uh, I don't have any nostalgia for that one oh. <laughs> but for this one I do <laughs> <laughs> this one you do yeah um, and you know it's a lady robot doing backing vocals snappy peppy new wave fabulousness and apparently Jack wrote some other songs, two other songs on that album that Paul Young also covered. So, uh, Oh, wow, okay. So he wasn't a, a one non-hit wonder. We w- <laughs> I mean, because Hang On Telephone is a fucking great track. I mean, it's one of my very, very favorite Blondie tracks, but I mean, that wasn't a, a hit. Was it a single? Uh, no. Yeah, I mean, it's it's probably one of their most famous album tracks. Tracks. and But I mean, that's not something he would have gotten any singles residuals from, you know? But hey, 
I'll happily take album sales residuals. From yeah, Blondie I mean, he from, did make because that was <laughs> so. a huge album. That was Parallel Lines. Yeah, yeah. So he did make a lot of money off of that. Yeah, and it was like, it was kind of like a B hit. It was definitely not an A hit. Yeah, it was on the radio. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I'm pretty sure they did a video for it, and I remember seeing it on MTV. But it wasn't yeah, as yeah. big as the other stuff. It's one of those weird sort of. Tri- it's, Non-hit hits, hit, non-hit. Yeah. Sort of hit, not really a hit. Because if you're a Blondie person, you know the song and you love it, because it's a really great song and they did a really great cover of it. I forget what episode we did it in before. But, uh, yeah, he's a jackass. All right, so we're going to listen to Come Back and Stay and then pick a winner. That's really very interesting. I've you know I've never heard that. I had no idea about it. And did you know that Paul Young's was a cover, or you didn't need to know anything? Uh, no. Okay. Not really. I I just I really only know it on a purely surface level. Like oh, a song I heard on MTV TV. all the fucking time. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of that's sort of it. But it's really interesting because Paul Young or whoever does his arrangements, I don't know if he arranged that shit or if he has some producer that kind of, you know, pulls the strings or what, but whoever arranged that did a really good job of making it his. Yes. And unlike his cover of the Hall of Notes song, Every Time You Go Away, it's really just, that's a pretty, pretty much the same thing. Same thing. thing. But this, he is really turned into a different thing. Yeah. And now hearing this other version, it makes sense to me how it can be a power pop song. But I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it is those pangs of nostalgia I've been <laughs> making reference to. But uh, I'll take the Paul Young version. Oh, yeah? Uh, I think for me it's a tie because I really like the original. I barely heard it back in the 80s or whatever when it, I heard it on college radio. And I dug it. And then when Paul Young came out and I'm like, oh, wow, you know. 
it's the exact same arrangement, but it's completely different, but it's purely because of instrumentation. You know, you got like a surfy punk band, and then lush production, you know, but he still makes it his own, Paul Young. Yeah, no, it's a different, it's a different, it's a totally different thing. Yeah. Uh, I like them both. Do, do I like one better? Which one do, well, I have to say I like Paul Young's better. Yeah. Because nostalgia but uh yeah maybe if the original was on the radio more and there was like a competition between the two i don't know i like the original yeah, but i like it's okay. better i guess the thing about that type of stuff you know that sort of slightly punk tinged power pop stuff i just feel like it it all sounds the same you yeah. know and yeah, like a, like a proper blues track or a reggae track. track. It's just like, oh, people, people, come on. <laughs> a little variety here, something else. But yeah. yeah, and yeah, power pop just gets so boring for that reason. Yeah, um, you have to write really a really good song or have really great musicians or something. Right. Like those power pop things that come through here that you were in. And when we saw Lanny and all, what is oh, that, that uh, dude? yeah, yeah, I'm not going to even name it because uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't. It, it doesn't deserve to be shouted out. Uh, yeah, I don't want to shout it out either. But it is, it is that. Like it all pretty much sounds the same. There were no standouts. Lanny was great. I don't, well, yeah, Lanny, but that's the thing, Lanny. Yeah, he stands out because he's got something beyond him doing that type of music like he could do any kind type of music and shine yeah he just has that thing he oh we're talking about lanny flowers lanny here. flowers yes yeah, look him up because he's really great yeah he's he's a little bit of a power pop guy he's a little i don't know i i feel a little like there's a little bit of tom petty going on with him without it being overt oh, yeah 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 and uh but but he's got the goods like he's one of those guys that's really unfortunate he's doing it now instead of in 1978 because he would have been Huge. You would know who he was. Yeah, definitely. He's a really great guy and a really great singer, and his songs are great. So, yeah, look him up. Lanny, L-A-N-N-I-E, Flowers. All you kids out there. All right. That's right. Song number four is Mexican Radio. If you're old enough, well, you know it. Uh, so the original was done by Wall of Voodoo from their album Call of the West. It came out in 1983. You could not escape it. And the cover I have was done by Celtic Frost oh. <laughs> in 1987 from their album Into the Pandemonium. Now first, I have to shout out Dan Buxpin for giving me this cover. This was one of his suggestions. So thank you, Dan. Dan was my editor when I wrote this original versus cover as a column for a website three four years ago and uh dan is a musician and he was like can i give you a, a list of suggestions for your show and i was like fuck yeah and he gave me 10 really good ones and this is one of them now when i said celtic F frost you laughed <laughs> well yeah of course i did yeah, so <laughs> now they're a band that I have no memory of at all. I recognize the name, but I 
I draw a blank with how they look or what they sang or where they were from or anything. I had zero. So, well, let's talk about the original one first. So, <laughs> Wall of Voodoo. Oh, what was that? Wall of Voodoo. Oh, that's, yeah. Oh, the thing in the back. Um, we live in New York, people. Yeah, no, there's, there's, uh, I live right next, right next to a bodega that's technically part of the same building. So, they're actually kind of in the lower part of the same building and the backyard area of this building yeah. is actually theirs that oh. bodega has the access to it and my window is open and anytime anything goes on back there you gates hear, go up gates go down yeah. whatever you hear all we hear it, it here yeah all right um <clears throat> so stan ridgeway if you remember that video that was on mtv incessantly because it was so weird and kooky uh, Stan Ridgeway with his weird spastic facial movements and guitarist Mark Moreland uh, they cited listening to high wattage unregulated AM Mexican radio stations when they were living in LA and particularly XERF XEG and XERB and I do remember hearing XERF when I lived in Los Angeles depending on where you were you could get it um so Moreland was the first to begin writing the song, and in an interview in the 1990s, he stated, it was basically just me singing, I'm on a Mexican radio over and over and over again. Then when he played it for his mother, she hated it because it was too repetitious. So then Ridgway comes in and collaborates with him, and they finish the song, adding all the verse lyrics to the chorus and the guitar lick and the mariachi harmonica melody in the breakdown in the middle. So when they played this live, and I saw them live one time, on one of those like MTV showcase concerts. Right, where they come out and played three songs. Two songs, right. maybe even one song. If they only had one hit, which they did. Did, and it was like all of like the B-team people that were on MTV. Uh, Ridgeway would play the mariachi melody on an organ synthesizer one time, and I think he even had a, a theremin there. It was weird. And uh, Bill Nolan used a synthesizer to play the melody when they were playing it in other concerts. So the line that everybody loves so much is, um, I wish I was in Tijuana eating barbecued iguana. When that song came out, it, that's, what the, that's the line everybody sang all the time, aside right. from the stupid chorus that was repetitive. And the cover by Celtic Frost... <laughs> All right, if you don't know who Celtic Frost is, can you explain? No, you're a lucky motherfucker. You're a lucky motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> they are a black metal band. Which does not mean they were African American. They were not They were not Negroes. Uh, what's the other, how else do you describe, what, what are the other things for black metal? You know, honestly, I like don't know. Doom because metal? Because, you know, death is, death metal. Tech is a different genre than black. And that there's just so many different little subgenres of metal, and I don't know the fucking difference. I don't know. It's all the same shit to me. That's why Dan Buxman suggested this because he wrote the Encyclopedia of Heavy Metal. Okay. Like he literally, I think that was the first book that he wrote. So he knows all this shit inside out and backwards. So they are from Sw- from Sw- Switzerland. They're from Switzerland. It's like four. Whitey white white guys from Switzerland with platinum blonde hair, and it's this weird slow 
double bass drum pedal because you have to have that. Well, of course. And when you you first hear it, you do not recognize it as this song at all. Well, Which three cheers for Celtic Frost? I guess it has that going for it. <laughs> and then the singer comes in with a whoa, whoa, you know the throat screech screaming right. whatever does he do, does he do the, see I, I i don't actually i'm not really familiar with them yeah like you i only know the name yeah i've seen pictures of them and i basically had a pretty good idea what they sounded like but does he do the cookie monster voice yeah okay he does cookie monster and it ha- of course it has a ripping guitar solo well, dude. dude ain't but the one way that's it ah the swiss uh into the pandemonium was the second studio album by the extreme metal band x dash dream x dash dream um it was released in 1987 and for those metal people out there the album is more varied than Celtic Frost's past LPs, with unlikely <laughs> covers, uh, you know, this one, and then emotionally charged love songs. Uh, the album's recurring industrial-influenced rhythmic songs of demons and destruction. Wah! Um, traditional Frost-styled songs about dreams and fear and a dark classical piece with female vocals. That's their steez. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, so that that I'm sure that sets them apart from any number of other Everybody bands. Everybody else is yeah. completely different. So now we're going to listen to them and then figure out uh, something. Yeah, I'm, I'll have to hear these in order to be able to choose. I'm yes. sure. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I feel a hot wind on my shoulder and the touch of the world that is older. I turn the switch and check the number. I leave it on when it Period. Sake. Period. <laughs> what? Oh my god. Well, oh. I, I have to give them one thing. They, they, they probably doing it with a sense of humor. They're probably not. I, I have to. I have to somehow believe that they're not taking themselves terribly seriously doing that. It's hard to tell with that kind of music. Yeah. But and I, I can't imagine that they're just like, 
stone cold serious like doing this cover of Mexican radio. I think part of the thing is that English obviously is not this guy's first language. Clearly. And the way that he is singing it, using singing in quotes, it's like he's trying so hard to get the English right that he can't get any swing happening. His his phrasing is clumsy to say the least. Least. It's terrible. So where Stan Ridgeway, at least he's rhythmic and and he's like, oh, hot wind, oh, shoulder. <laughs> he he may not even know what he's saying. saying. He may just be doing it phonetically and just like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And that's thank you. That's what I think. You, I have you to think he's this. just delivering the lyric phonetically? Period. I think he's just doing it phonetically and trying to cookie monster it and <laughs> <laughs> and make it sound badass. Right. Yeah, it could be. It could be. And that's it. So I will give them props for even doing it in the first place and releasing it and releasing it. <laughs> Because you would never think that a band like Celtic Frost would do that for a cover. Yeah. It's like, I forget what episode it was, you know, when Def Leppard covered Mariah Carey. You know, like, what are you talking about? Why would they do that? And it's not a case of, or at least I don't think it would be a case of, this is a song that they ran during rehearsals. No. And then, oh, yeah, let's record it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, yeah, somebody came up with this grand idea, or it was a joke, or something. Yeah, because he sounds like he's laughing to himself. But yeah. I think that's just the phonetic thing. Who knows? I would love to speak with him. If anybody can hook me up with a Celtic Frost interview, please email me. Or any of you, any of you metal nerds out there who just know the story. Yeah. Somebody email me, djcrystalclear at me.com, djcrystalclear, all one word, at me.com. Please let me know. Super Morgan might know. Oh, yeah. Morgan of F-Bomb fame. He digs, he digs the sea frost. Celtic frost. He might know. <laughs> the sea frost. Yeah. Should I, yeah, I'll ask him. But anybody else, write into me. All right. Song number five is called Fancy. And I want to send a shout-out to Robert Aragon, who is an Instagram fan. Get it on now, Aragon. (laughs) Bang a gong, Aragon. Uh, Yes, Robert Aragon, he messaged me this. He was like, hey, this is a good cover. you got to check this out. And I did, and so that's why it's in this episode. So cheers to you, Robert Aragon. Uh, The song is called Fancy, and the original was done by Bobby Gentry. In 1970, from the oh, album called... Wow, this is an entirely different song than I thought. Oh, really? What, what did you think? I thought it was the Kinks Fancy. Oh! Oh, no. And the cover would be Red Cross. Yes. Which would have made my Get It On Now Aragon very appropriate, because Red Cross has a song, Get It On Now Saragon. Gone, yes. So, man, that would <laughs> have just... Full circle. So, it, it, it's all been ruined. Everything sorry, is going to be so great. That, that <laughs> is the world on... <laughs> was going to open up. The sun was going to shine. Fine. Birds chirping. But, uh, oh, but anyway, so this song, I don't know the song you're talking about then. Yeah. Um, that is on my list, though, The Kinks. The Kinks Fancy, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's Bobby Gentry. It came out in 1970. The album was called Fancy. And there are two covers of this. Uh, there's a super famous cover done by Reba McIntyre from her album called Rumor Has It that came out in 1990. And the person that Robert Aragon told me about is 
a country singer by the name of Orville Peck. Wow. I'd never heard of this guy before. Nothing. And this album called Show Pony came out last year. Now, remember, people, there was a pandemic that started last year, (laughs) in case you forgot. And so there's a lot of reasons why I wouldn't have heard about this guy, because he would not have been here on tour last year, or he was... I saw a video of him singing somewhere here in Brooklyn in 2019. Um, Some small place, I don't remember. But anyway... You know, I don't know. I never heard of him. So the original, it's Bobby Gentry in 1970. And everybody knows who Bobby Gentry is, right? I don't know who she is. Okay. So she had a big hit called Ode to Billy Joe. And I think everybody knows that. Choctaw Bridge, blah, blah, blah. Choctaw. Choctaw. Ridge. And they but Billy Joe McAllister jumped off the Tallahatchie Bridge. So, uh... Bobby Gentry was like a sex pot, sex kitten, seventies <laughs> chick, and she had a good, she has a good voice, and sang these songs, kind of talk, sang them a little bit. So she's got this sexy, sultry voice, and this song is basically about a young girl being turned out by her mom. Because if you listen to the lyrics, it's like, um. Her mom is like, be nice to the gentleman, Fancy. Like, she bought her a dress and these shoes and go in this room and talk to these men kind of thing. So it's very, there's a saloon vibe going on with the arrangement. It's uh, saloon vibey strings, drum rim hits, trumpets, a B3, tambourine. It's not a straight up country thing. Right. It sounds country because of her voice, and it is country-ish, but it is not like a 70s country song would be. Well, kind of like Go to Billy Joe. Yeah. Um, so she says, Fancy is my strongest statement for women's lib if you really listen to it. I agree wholeheartedly that with that movement and the serious issues they stand for, equality, equal pay, daycare centers, and abortion rights. And while the song's story is heart-wrenching, Fancy's message of empowerment in the face of self-righteous hypocrites continues to resonate. I knew what I had to do, and I made myself the solemn vow. That's going to be a lady someday. Oh, sorry. That I's going to be a lady someday, though I don't know when or how. But I couldn't see spending the rest of my life with my head hung down in shame. You know, I might have been born just plain white trash, but Fancy was my name. (laughs) So... When it came out, all the women's libbers are like, "Ma, you're singing about being a prostitute. Turn it off." But you got to look at the other side of it. Right. Well, Chick. it's kind of like with the Alice Cooper song; they were looking on the surface and not actually listening to, to the, the lyrics. lyrics of the song at all. Exactly. Yeah. There were a bunch of Tipper Gores around before Tipper Gore was around. Right. Um, and oh, this is an interesting tidbit. Rick Hall produced this. Well, well. We all remember who Rick Hall is now, don't we? And we all remember what you should not have done with Rick Hall <laughs> back in the day. Um, so for those who don't remember or don't know, he was the owner of Fame Studios in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. And um, you and I saw the documentary called Muscle Shoals in 2013. Can you believe it was that long ago? Was that really? Yeah. Wow, okay. It was a long time ago. He died in 2018. 
But the main takeaway from that movie was never get in an automobile with Rick Hall because you're going to wind up dead and he's going to survive. Well, <laughs> well, same could be said with Vince Neil. <laughs> exactly. Poor Razzle. R.I.P. Razzle. But this guy, it was like, what, four car wrecks or something? A tractor? like. Right. <laughs> Every time he comes out just brushing off the suit <laughs> just, just you know <laughs> just the dirt off oh well you know okay where are we going it was really weird so watch that documentary it's called muscle shoals it came out in 2013 and um so the band that he had there was his own version of uh they were called the swampers spooner oldham roger hawkins they were the southern muscle shoals version of uh who am i thinking of Wrecking Crew? Thank you, Wrecking Crew, yes. So, Hall's Grammy-winning production touched nearly every genre of popular music, from country to R&B, and his studio and publishing company were a breeding ground for future legends in the worlds of songwriting and session work, as well as recording home to some of the greatest musicians and recording artists of all time, Aretha Franklin, Etta James, Wilson Pickett, etc. To date, the studio and its publishing company have been responsible for an estimated $350 million record sales with songs by everyone from the Beatles to George Strait. So the covers. Now Reba McIntyre. Oh, Reba! <laughs> the arrangement is still basically the same except because it was done in the 1990s it's like big 90s. So everything is really loud and up and bright. Which kind of works your nerves a little bit. And Reba McIntyre has a super country hillbilly voice. So, it kind of hits home with the white trash line from the song a little better than Bobby Gentry's. And she belts through this thing a lot. A whole lot. And Orville Peck. So, he's a gay guy. I don't know where he's from. I'm assuming he's from somewhere down south because he's got that southern voice. Um, he wears nudie type suits. New country, quote unquote. He plays guitar. And what he, his shtick is that he wears a mask, like uh, a Lone Ranger mask. And then it has fringe coming down from above the nose all the way down to his chest. And it has like a little space for his mouth when he's singing, so you get, so you can hear him when he's singing. And he wears a big, gigantic hat, so then you can't really see his face at all, almost. Wow. So he's, pre- he's doing like Kiss is doing. He's, he's preparing the situation for him to be able to bow out eventually, and there'll be somebody else in, <laughs> to in come his place. in and replace him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is weird. And to me, I have no idea why he does this. He has a really great voice. He sings beautifully, I think. Baritone, froggy kind of thing. A little lilting, you know, twangy thing going on. But this reminds me of Lady Gaga and that Sia chick. They're obviously talented. They can sing. They can write songs. Why are you doing this shit? I mean, I get it. You got it. It's a gimmick. But after a while, when you can prove that you can sing, then you don't need that shit anymore. It took Lady Hoo-Ha a while to take that shit off. Sia is still wearing those kooky wigs. All right. She won't stop. And since this guy kind of just came out, I hope that he stops it. I'm sure he's a good-looking dude. But it's like, you don't, if you can sing like that, you don't need a gimmick. Just knock it off. Well, 
Anyway, that's what my What are you going to do? Tell that to Kiss. I rah! <laughs> Tell speaking, of, speaking of Kiss. <laughs> well, they've got their replacements all lined up. All right, so we're going to listen to uh, the versions of Fancy and then figure it out. I remember it all very well. Looking back, it was the summer I turned 18. We lived in a one-room run-down shack on the outskirts of New Orleans. We didn't have money for food or rent, to say the least, we were hard-pressed. Then Mama spent every last penny we had to buy me a dancing dress. Mama washed and combed and curled my hair, and she painted my eyes and lips. And then I stepped into a satin dancing dress that was split on the side, cleaned up to my hips. It was red velvet trim, and it fit me good. And staring back from the looking glass was a woman where a half grown kid had stood. Here's your one chance, fancy, don't let me down. Here's your one chance, fancy, don't let me down. Lord, forgive me for what I do, please. But if you want out, well, it's up to you. Now don't let me down, your mom's gonna help you move uptown. And I saw the tears welling up in her troubled eyes as she started to speak. She looked at a pitiful shack and then she looked at me and took a ragged breath. She said, your paws runned off and I'm real sick and the baby's gonna starve to death. She handed me a heart-shaped locket that said to thine own self be true. And I shivered as I watched a roach crawl across the toe of my high shoes. It sounded like somebody else who was talking, asking, Mama, what do I do? She said, just be nice to the gentleman, Fancy. They'll be nice to you. She said, here's your one chance, Fancy. Don't let me down. Here's your one chance, Fancy. Don't let me down. Lord, forgive me for what I do. But if you won't have what it's up to you, now don't let me down. Now your mama's going to move you uptown. That was the last time I saw my ma The night I left that rickety shack The welfare people came and took the baby Mama died and I ain't been back But the wheels of fate had started to turn And for me there was no way out It wasn't very long till I knew exactly What my mom had been talking about I knew what I had to do But I made myself this solemn vow Said I was gonna be a lady someday Though it didn't matter when or how I couldn't see spending the rest of my life With my head held down in shame You know I might have been born just plain white trash But Fancy was my name Here's your one chance, Fancy, don't let me down Here's your one chance, Fancy, don't let me down All right! So, especially with you not ever having heard the original, this is going to be a good fresh take because I've, the only one I never heard before was Oliver uh, Peck, Orville Peck. So what do Orville Redenbacher? Orville Redenbacher Peck. So uh, what do you think? Uh, they all lose. They all lose? They all lose. <laughs> well, it's just, you know, I just, I'm not into the song oh. to begin with. It's just not my steez, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm not much of a fan of, uh, what's her name, Joey? 
What's Bobby her fuck? Gentry. Bobby Gentry, yeah. <laughs> Joey, Joey Gentry. J- Joey, Jimmy, what's her fuck? Because <laughs> yeah. I've always hated Ode to Billy Joe. Jo- Ode, Ode to Billy, Billy Joel. Joel. <laughs> Ode to Billy Joel. I've always hated Ode to Billy Joel. Yeah. And uh, I will say... I like this better than Ode to Billy Joe. Oh, okay. But that's because I hate Ode to Billy, Billy Joe, Joe, and I don't hate this. I'm just, I'm just not into it. I'm not into it. And then covers of it? Eh. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. If only you guys could see Paul's faces. Yeah. Um, all right, well, I will give the perspective of having heard uh, the first two, but not Orville. I have always liked Bobby Gentry. I think I I think I had this album sometime in the 80s, got it at a thrift store or whatever. I don't like Ode to Billy Joe Armstrong either. I hate <laughs> Yeah. I don't like it. Because I, I got sick of it. It was on the radio all the fucking time. Yeah. Back then. And I don't ever need to hear that song again for the rest of my life. Reba McIntyre. Reba McIntyre. Reba McIntyre. Well, like like I said when we were listening, she kind of sounds like she's trying to do Aretha Franklin and Dolly Parton at the same time. Yeah. A little bit. And I, I like Reba McIntyre. I think she's a great singer. She's an actress. Like, I totally forgot that she had a, her own TV show and all this oh, stuff. Yeah. And it was I'm, a huge thing. Yeah. I never watched it, but uh, now she's on a show, Young Sheldon, where she plays this old lady. Well, I didn't know what I Anyway, so Reba and that production, wah, you know, was just like punching you in the face. And then we get to Orville, and it's like Nick Cave. <laughs> right? Sort of. So Nick Cave Ish. trying to do Johnny Cash. Right. Which I guess is kind of what Nick Cave is, in a way. Yeah. And so he's, like, doing Nick Cave, trying to be Nick Cave doing Johnny Cash. Yeah. And I do really like his voice. I'm going to have to listen to the rest of the album. This is the only song that I've heard. You know, I think I will give it to, to, to Bobby Gentry. Okay. For one reason. I do like the flugelhorns. (laughs) <laughs> the that's that's horns. the one and only takeaway that's I have it. from all of that. The flugelhorns sound great on that they track. They did. And it's kind of like a kitchen sink arrangement. You know, like all that stuff that you heard just in the very beginning. Yeah. You know, like, damn. But it also reminds me of... Um, that was such a 70s thing to do for some artists. And it, it's like I could totally picture her singing it on the Hollywood Palace TV show, oh, yeah. you know, or Dean Martin show or something like, ooh, look at this, you know, sexy little kitten with a whip and, you know, blah, 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 blah. high hair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, do I have a winner? I don't know. I guess for me it would be a tie between Bobby Gentry and Orville. Heck. Even though it was very slow and super dramatic and Nick Cave trying to be Johnny Cash, I kind of like it. All right, so here's the last song, song number six. Speaking of listening to the whole album, now I think people who are regular listeners know that I depend on Paul to tell me about new things. 
because I don't listen to anything new. <laughs> Which is a pretty sad situation, because who is less up on new shit than me? <laughs> than Paul. So, my, my idea of new things is, hey, Paul McCartney has a new album, new album out. out. Right. <laughs> That's my idea of new things. <laughs> right. But you've turned me on to other people like Michael... I always want to Michael say Michael Kiwanuka, Yukonuba, right. and uh, other stuff. Tame Impala, T- Tame Impala, and uh, weren't you? Didn't you also tell me about the Lemon Twigs too? I think. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So you've turned me on to new things that I've liked. So, song number six is called "Could It Be I'm Falling in Love," and the original was done by the Spinners from the album "The Spinners" in 1972. And the covers that I'm going to talk about, there are two of them. The first one is done by Donny Osmond from his album From Donny with Love that came out in 2008. And the Which sec- came out in 2008? Yeah. Did, from Donny with Love? Mm-hmm. Is that wrong? That's way wrong. That must be a, oh. reissue, that must be a reissue date. Oh. From Donny with Love is like 70... Like, that's, that's, that's Donny with his... That's what I thought, yeah. Yeah, that's that's like Sweet and Innocent era Donnie. Okay, well, yeah, I guess yeah. they did an old version. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm old Donnie now, and yeah, I'm still well, yeah, maybe you did a re... Love. Well, yeah, from Donnie with Love is definitely one of his 70s. 70s, records. yeah. yeah. Uh, well, when I looked it up, that's what it said. There's, yeah, there's probably a reissue date or something that got yeah. mixed up. And the other cover I'm going to talk about is Paul Stanley's. Oh, oh. From Paul Stanley's Soul Station. Oh, wow. We're getting, we're talk about getting current here. From the album called Now and Then that just came out this year. Like a couple weeks, weeks ago. Weeks ago. Yeah. And you told me about it, and I was like, say what? Yeah. Now, refresh my memory. What, what was, was this the song that you heard from it that you were like, uh... No, the song that I heard from the Paul Stanley Soul Station album that I was re- impressed by is an original tune. He oh. has about five original songs on it, that, yeah. and they're pretty good. Um, and the rest of it's all covers. Yeah. Do you, which, do you remember the name of that original song? Uh, yeah, it's something really stupid like I Do I, do I that's or something what it like is, that. Yes, that's what it is. Okay. So I listened to this album on my way here today twice because it's kind of short and i have to say that i love it it's not bad i mean the thing about his covers is that they're pretty true so i i can't imagine you getting next to that but he sounds perfectly i mean i'm sure that there's some wizardry going on for sure yes but whatever whatever needs to be done to make it listenable it is that they they did and i think his original songs on it are pretty damn good pretty like damn i would good. like to hear him do an album in that style of entirely original material yes i would love that too but let me backpedal a little bit so the original for people who don't remember or don't know it is classic philadelphia soul to the bone cole written by melvin and mervin seals steels and they were sometimes credited as maestro and lyric maestro being spelled m-y-s-t-r-o and lyric because they were, I believe, identical twins with names like Melvin and Mervyn. Uh, they were songwriters for Atlantic, and this was recorded at Sigma Sound, produced by Tom Bell, and the backing band was MFSB. Oh, man. So you can, I mean, you'd have to drop a bomb on this to make it terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. Right. I mean, yeah, it's these, just these guys like, can can make gold in their sleep. Uh, it's a lot of these ridiculous. guys. Ridiculous. They fart out better. Uh, yeah. Just in, insane. So, uh, the spinners, Bobby Smith was on the lead, and then 
Philip Philippi Philippe Wynn came in on the outro. And if you remember, he was the guy who sang Rubber Band Man. You're going to recognize the voice. And uh, the Sigma Sweethearts were doing the backing vocals with Linda Creed. And this song was the follow-up to I'll Be Around. It is absolute perfection. That's it. It's perfection. The lyrics, the vocals, the music, the production... There's a harpsichord in there, there's horns, there's strings, stone R&B groove. Yeah, that that track has got so much stuff in it. There's so much shit in that arrangement, and it's not cluttered. At all. Everything it has breathes. a place. Everything is perfectly placed. Yes, it's fucking brilliant. Yeah. And even if you've heard this song before, you have to listen to it again with headphones on or earbuds in or something. You need to hear it in full stereo rattling through your head and then you will understand why i'm gushing about this because it's just like you just can't it's easily one of the best singles of that decade oh yeah i think like definitely the decade I'm well actually i guess like, you say of any decade because i mean because then take yeah. away the 70s then what do you got what left? do you got nothing okay well the 60s but yeah. <laughs> okay there is <laughs> yeah. there's the 60s there's the 60s but i mean this thing it's like Fuck, it's just genius. The Donny Osmond cover? (laughs) Which I've never heard. I'm aware of this album, only because I've seen it at thrift stores a million times, and I actually think I may have it in the vault somewhere, but I have never heard this. Well, (laughs) you're going to be surprised. Yeah, or or not surprised. Or not surprised, and... uh, so you haven't heard the Paul Stanley version? I've heard the Paul Stanley version. Oh, you have? Okay. Um, I've just not heard the Donny Osmond version. Got it. All right. Well, we're going to check these out and then, uh, yeah, pick a winner.
Mystery solved. Yes, mystery. Okay, there was a clear. There, I, I've cleared up this whole Donny Osmond mystery. All right. W- w- now, what's the name of this album that you said it was? Uh, from 2008 or 18 or whatever. From Donny with Love. Now, I was going. Wait a minute. No, that's a 70s record. What are you talking about? Well, the reason why where I was mixed up is that his 19. He has a 1971 album called To You with Love, Donny. Oh, oh, okay. And you've you've seen the cover. Yes. It's a black cover with your head and shoulder shot, so and it's written in, in white, in like hand, in his hand. Right. That's yeah. the the lettering on the cover. Right. That's the album I thought you were talking about. Oh, I'm like, okay. dude, that is not from 2008. Little did I know, he had another album with practically the same, same title, title from 2008, where mm. he does this cover. Okay. Yep. <clears throat> so, the original is perfection. Now, Donny Osmond cover. You know. Uh, there may as well be, and there probably is, a Michael Bolton version <laughs> to go along with that, you know? Yeah. He doesn't even say, that's funny. Yeah, well... He skips good. it. <laughs> it... It... I think it's awful. It's terrible. Yeah, it is terrible. You know, the Paul Stanley version, I don't like that much. It's... Uh, you know, A for effort. The band sounds... I don't know. It's just... It sounds a little... I think I'm just too stuck on the original. I mean, the original's so... By the way, in case there was ever any doubt... Duh! Uh, duh. <laughs> fucking wins this... Yeah, by obviously. 80,000 planets. Yes. It's another solar system. Yeah. But... The thing about the Paul Stanley version is he sounds better than I would think... That he would, mm-hmm. but in the end, it still sounds a bit canned. It still sounds pitch corrected into fucking oblivion, and it sounds like Paul Stanley singing karaoke of that of that song. Yeah, I agree with everything you said, <clears throat> but I still love it. <laughs> I really do. Is it just in in theory, like Paul Stanley just singing that song? I it's almost kind of can't miss because of what it is. He chose very specific covers. Well, he has good taste. He's got great taste. In in the songs that he chose, yeah. Yes. And I think what is really hitting me where I live is the fact that for the last 40-some years, I've heard him sing a very specific way all screeching. of the time. Screeching, screaming, all right, hey, everybody, blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, rock and roll all night. Wow. So, wow. So... 
now I hear him doing this, and yes, it's canned as fuck, <laughs> and yeah. pitch corrected, and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's the equivalent of a Doris Day movie with Vaseline all over the lens and cheesecloth in front of it. It's so beautiful and so slick and so smooth. It's insane. And to hear him singing in this type of voice, to me, I can't say that it's a revelation, but it kind of is, just because... I've never heard him sing like this before. Like that cover of um, Vehicle from years ago. Right. What? what? Well, he still had his voice then, when he so still he had sounded his voice. great doing that. Yes, and it was amazing because it was like, wow, this song is already a killer tune. He's got this great band, and he's singing it, and he's nailing it because yeah. he still had his voice. And it was like, oh my God, this is fucking amazing. Yeah. So that's the feeling that I'm getting with this. Right. And all of the songs, the covers that he chose, are all very specific, where he has to be, 85% of the songs are falsetto. And we never hear him really doing falsetto in Kiss songs, right? He so, does it a couple times on Elder tracks, but okay. I mean, that's the that album is the outlier, uh, so... Right. And... I'm dying to... I gotta look up who produced this this album because it's just... I think it's interesting that he chose these songs specifically to showcase that he can do this for whatever reason after 45,000 years of not... This is what I'm just... This is just what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. I'm, my guess is that he, his choice is just based on the songs that he loves. That he loves. Yeah. But also showcasing his voice in this way. Sure. And when he is doing these falsetto moments in these songs... He's backed off of the mic. He's not giving you full diaphragm energy. He's not pushing it. No. It's very subdued, sometimes where you almost can barely hear it. Yeah, well, yeah, he's being carried along by the backing vocals vocals. on a lot of that stuff. Yes, totally. And I will give a big shout-out to all the backing vocalists on this record. They crushed it. The band, fantastic. I mean, I fell in love with this on my way here. <laughs> there's, a, there's a quick, there's a video, uh, like a behind-the-scenes video on YouTube that I saw of that, where they're interviewing one of the women who's the backing vocalist, and Paul comes walking up and sits down right next to her, and he just puts his arm around her, and he points at her, and he looks at the camera, and he goes, she is no one's backing vocalist. And just kind of like, you know, and she's getting all bashful and everything. It's like, yeah, she isn't. She's damn high. She's higher in the mix than you are, dude. <laughs> she's practically singing lead yeah, here. Yeah, she's practically carrying this song. And then in this song in particular, the outro is done by a male backing vocalist. Because I'm listening to it, and I don't have it at full volume. I have it pretty loud because I'm on the train. I'm in the subway system on my way here. And I want to hear everything. And I've got really great inner ear uh, gazooby doobies. So I had to listen, I had to repeat this three times to make sure that it was not him singing it. Because, you know, I want to tell you, but. And it gets really funky and churchy. And then I'm like, by the third time, I was like, no, this is a black guy singing this. Yeah, that's, it's that's not Paul there's, Stanley. Yeah, there's, there's that, another guy there who's doing that. Yeah. At the beginning, it could be him, sort of, because it's low. And then when he goes you know, full gut, then it's like, okay, it's definitely not Paul Stanley. But I, Lorelai, I have, you are everything and everything is you. I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> so I love it. I'm in love with it. I say, listen to this album. And if you're an old fart like me, <laughs> Kiss fan, it will sort of be a revelation. And yes, 
it is totally sweetened beyond belief. Like, harder than an American Idol contestant winner. But really only because of the shape his voice is in, in now. Yeah. A younger Paul Stanley could have fucking Killed. nailed this shit, like, in, with live takes. Yes. And no sweetening. Yeah. I agree. But he just doesn't have his voice now. And it really sucks that he's, only, he's you know, now he's trying to do all these things, and it's like... I wish he had done it too late, dude. (laughs) Yeah, I wish he had done it twenty or thirty years ago. It would have been fantastic. Because now, after listening to this, I want him to do a songbook, like go follow Rod Stewart and do Mm. an American songbook thing. Oh no! Please no. (laughs) You kidding me? Just for my own satisfaction. Okay, you know, well, (laughs) (laughs) so money talks. We're talking about Paul Stanley. Yeah, if anybody's listening and can get me through to Paul Stanley, I want to convince him to do that. Just one. That's all. Just just one. Um, and what was the other thing I was going to say? Uh, yeah, I just... I, you know, obviously, yeah, the spinners win. But... Oh, so in this song in particular, the first verse, you hear old Paul Stanley coming out, because when he says, it's funny, it... <laughs> It sounds like... It's funny, it's people! <laughs> it's, I actually giggled to myself when he said that. It's funny. Because it just... That's his real voice. Yeah. You know? And then in some other songs, his accent comes through. His New York thing comes through a little bit. Like, he says way in a certain kind of way. If you're an old Kiss listener, you will understand what I'm saying. And that even, like, made it more endearing to me that he... That they allowed that to happen, you know. Right. Well, I mean, let's face it. It's it's Paul Stanley being Paul Stanley, Stanley. and that's got to poke through. You know, he he yeah. can't he can't not be he Paul can't Stanley. not do that. Yeah, it's fantastic. I I love it. The Spinners win, but I love Paul Stanley version. I love the album. I'm gonna listen to it on my way home again. Oh well, shit! I really dig it. <laughs> that's I don't know what else to say. I hope. It, Listen, you kids out there in podcast land, listen to the album and then write to me and tell me if I'm right or wrong, that if you like it or not, especially if you're an old crankbox like me. All right, so that's it. That's the end of episode 20. Thank you for listening. Thank you for my suggestions from, uh, who was it? Oh, wait, I got to go back. Oops. No, that's the wrong one. Yeah, you know who you are. Uh, you know who you are. Well, Dan Buxpin was one of them. Thank you, Dan Buxpin, for the um, Wall of Voodoo thing. And then the other one was, um, oh, I made fun of his name, Aronson. I ruined your whole thing with the dude's name. Anyway, Aragon, that's it. Oh, get it on now, Aragon. Yeah, yeah. Robert Aragon. So thank you to those people. And if anybody else wants to give me some suggestions... Uh, hit me up on Instagram at DJ Crystal Clear. You can email me at DJ Crystal Clear at me.com and all that jazz. So that's the end of episode 20. See you with episode 21. Happy motoring, everybody. Mm-hmm.